Tech Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. How you doing? And welcome to Tech Radio, the number one Irish tech podcast, bringing you news and tech from around Ireland and across the world. Every Friday evening on RTE Radio, or of course you can get it first on Friday mornings with your favourite podcasting app from Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcast. Today we're talking about a brand new EU-wide digital wallet, not to be confused with the COVID one we've been talking about. Uh, There's been more cyber attacks in the world, and Huawei have uh, released their brand new FU Donald Trump operating system. We'll find out more about that. This is episode 871. My name is Dusty Rhodes and joining me as always is our editor-in-chief, Niall Kitson. Niall, I just want to start with the EU-wide digital wallet. Mm, yeah. yeah. You're, you're aware of the COVID cert one. Are you going to use it for holidays this summer? Uh, I think the COVID one is really good because it's, you, you remember that phrase, just enough uh, education to perform. Jeep, which was an album by Stereophonics, which uh, ah. I think it was lifted from the the British juvenile detention system. I think All right. <laughs> um, this is just a, it, the COVID passport is just enough information to perform. It's just yeah, you've been tested, yeah, you've been vaccinated. Quick click, that's it, you're done. Uh, as that is just as much as you know your person in the airport or your person in quarantine needs to know about you. That All is right. it. Wouldn't it be great if they were able to include that somehow in your actual ticket? So instead of scanning your ticket and then scanning your COVID, sir, I ask too much. Let's go. You ask far too much. We've only got a couple of months left of this. <laughs> well, that's very true. It's a whole true. new product. That's very true. Uh, the new one that the EU are touting now, and I think it's great because uh, one of the good things uh, about COVID has been people adopting digital lifestyles a lot more. So a lot more people are using digital currency. And when I say that, they use apps like Revolut and stuff like that. Um, uh, they're using Zoom for meetings um, yada yada we're all on Netflix all that kind of stuff so the EU are jumping on this to make people's lives easier and it will include things like your driver's license or your public services card or I'm sure it'll have some form of ID in there I wonder how that'll sit uh, with us here in Ireland because in Europe it's a requirement on mainland Europe uh, that you have photo ID with you yeah it's not a big deal it's not a big deal, but it's a very big deal for us here. So I don't know if that will be mm. included. Anyway, this this is what they're pushing. Uh, and the only way you can open that particular ID uh, wallet is with your fingerprint or a retina scan or something very, mm. very personal like that. So, um, yeah, I'm kind of, you know, you know me, I'm a privacy guy. Uh, I don't like having this stuff on my phone or whatever, but even I'm converting. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, what does this sound most like? I mean, it sounds like Apple Wallet, which we're pretty used to using at this stage. And it's super convenient. Mm. Um, barely, you know, yeah, super easy, barely an inconvenience. That's a reference some people will get. A lot of people won't. Um, I'm very much in favor of it. Uh, if you're an Apple user, it's much easier to be in favor of it because uh, the information sits on your device and it, it's not stored in the cloud. However, uh, if the option is there to store it in the cloud, you put yourself at risk of, you know, entrusting your data to someone else. So you're kind of hoping and assuming that their digital infrastructure can withstand a certain kind of attack that we'll we'll talk about a little bit later. So, uh, yeah, you are a convert, Dusty, but if it was a case of something being stored in the cloud, would you trust the EU or the Irish state to manage it? 
Whoa, there's a... Oh, that's a very good question. I don't know is the answer. Uh, I would trust the EU more than I would the Irish state. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you, do you think there's not an element of, of once bitten about this? Okay. That's so because, d- the, because the attack on the HSE was so devastating, they're in the process of building things back and one would hope better than before and therefore might have a little bit more resiliency. We, we might end up with a more contemporary system. So you're taking my little bit of good news now and you're throwing a great big dark cloud all over it. Um, I don't think the HSE is unique. Uh, the NHS in the UK was similarly attacked uh, last year or the year before. Yep, true. Uh, I think we're going to see more of those attacks. Um, I I will stand by my initial thoughts, which I've had for years, which is I don't really like putting things in the cloud. Mm. Yeah. Right. It's very simple. It's like kind of, uh, it's somewhere else that somebody else controls. So yeah. I, don't li- I don't like that. But because so many people are doing it and because it's so day-to-day and because this is the way the rest of the world works, it's kind of like you almost have to go with it. Do you know what I mean? Okay, but you would be, you'd do it, but you're not comfortable with it. Is that your argument? It depends on the information. If it was my driving license, I don't think I'd be too worried. Public services card, maybe not too worried. Uh, If it was my bank details, you see, mm, mm. (laughs) mmm, different. (laughs) Quite, quite different indeed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know if it stays on device, I'm happy with it. If it's stored in the cloud, I Mm. would not be happy with it. All right. Okay. Well, that's fair enough. Now, listen, speaking of attacks uh, and and the like, we are getting more and more of these. Uh, There was another big one. uh, I think there's another two going on. I think one of the camera companies. Yeah, two two big ones going on. Fujifilm uh, and JBS. Uh, JBS isn't a brand that we would necessarily be very familiar with over here. Uh, It's one of the largest meat distributors in the world. It's responsible for one-fifth of all the beef in America. one-fifth of beef or all meat? Possibly all I meat. I think it's all meat, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's they're huge. an absolutely huge operation. And they've just joined the, the latest in a in a long and, and sad list over the last few weeks alone. Like well, we had Colonial Pipeline, we've had the New Zealand Health Service, we've had us, now we have Fujifilm as well. Um, they're, they're stacking up. And JBS would have a lot of money. They have 150 plants around uh, the world in 15 countries, 150,000 employees. And do you know who mm. one of their, do you know who one of their customers is? Go on, McDonald's. No, there's a <laughs> lot of pat- beef patties for you. That's a lot of patties. <laughs> yeah. Now, exactly. I, if if it's a case of they have insurance, it's not a big deal to them. I mean, Colonial Pipeline paid out 4.4 million, and they were insured. Like that wasn't out of their pocket. Like they just put in a claim. Um, Hang on. So, you know, it's easier to pay than fix. Yeah. Yeah. You would think with somebody like Colonial Pipeline, uh, four million to them would be kind of like, I'll get the next round. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No big deal. Pretty much. Yeah. If the hackers are listening, you need to think bigger, guys. (laughs) 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 No, know your victim before you go making demands, you know? Uh, Asking the HSE for 20 million isn't going to happen. True. Any word on how big this uh, cyber attack is, what they have and what they want? As usual, uh, these things are kept under wraps, so we're not not entirely sure what they got. Uh, And of course, you know, the hackers will say, oh, we have absolutely everything um, and we've got, you know, X hundred gigs. They can say what they want. 
they only need to have little breadcrumbs that they uh, that they throw in there to say, well, we've got lots of stuff, including this. Yeah, which is which is what happened to the HSE like uh, a week ago. The Financial Times reported seeing uh, data related to what was it fifty patients or something like that, uh, or fifty files relating to twelve patients. I think that was probably it, mm. uh, and it was just enough to get you thinking, oh, right, they actually they actually have stuff. Where they actually have seven hundred gigs worth of this stuff is is unknown. Uh, and we we may never know, but um, yeah, just again, just enough information to perform. There we go. Modern life. Uh, final story today. Uh, Huawei have uh, I call it the FU Donald Trump operating system because uh, Donald Trump famously said that anybody who deals with Huawei will be banned from doing business in the states, and no American companies can deal with Huawei. And Google were like, and then Huawei were going, but we need Google and 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 Android, and it's all a bit of a yeah. mess. So they've yeah. gone their own way, doing their own thing. I mean, Huawei ha- have been investing in their own software for years and years and years. Anyway, um, using Android uh, over in this part of the world is a convenience more than anything else. Uh, so they basically built their new Harmony OS on top of Android. Um, and it looks an awful, awful lot like iOS. <laughs> really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what do you do with that? You know, it's like you're getting slammed in America over uh, stealing intellectual property. What do you do? Steal you use open source property. software <laughs> and steal the uh, uh, UI from another company and put it up there. <laughs> from the, it's like, uh, oh, you want to see a steal intellectual property, do you? Yeah. Take this. Listen, do you know what? It will be kind of interesting to see uh, what they do do with it because we've got Android, we've got iOS, and then there's, you know, other lots of other little bits about it. Huawei are a huge company, so it'll be interesting mm-hmm. to see if, if this um, OS actually does take off or if it's actually any good. But we uh, won't yes. know that. We won't know that for a couple of weeks yet because uh, it's literally only released uh, as in this week, isn't it? Thursday, 3rd of June, I think mm-hmm. it, it came out into yeah. the world, so... Uh, we should wait and see. Have you any other details on it? Have you seen anything? Or uh, I've seen a couple of screenshots, and and mm. what would what would you expect? Like it does look like iOS, which means that it's going to be you know be, it's going to be easy to use. It's going to be nicely presented. Um, uh, it always comes to, down to the devices when it comes to tablets. When it when mm. you're talking about smartphones, it's um, you talk about Android much more freely. I think mm-hmm. when you talk about tablet, I find people are talking about specs a bit more freely because it's so much more of an overlap with the PC market. Mm. Like when you look at, say, the um, Surface Pro, it's like, oh, how does it compare to the to the PC? Like it's just what you're, what you're thinking about now when you mm. buy it. So uh, it'll, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm in two minds over it. What do you think, Dusty? You're, you're, uh, you're, we both use tablets. I mean, I'm very happy with my iPad. Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, yeah, I only use it occasionally. Uh, I'm, I, I'm, I'm just old fashioned in like, I like the big PC screen and a keyboard and mouse on my desk. And that's my absolute preferred way. I just feel I've got acres of space. Um, yeah. After that, I use a laptop. Anytime I'm on the road, I use a laptop and I'm uber um, used to that as well. Tablets, yeah, not so much. You know, for as mm. I was I was explaining to you before, maybe sometimes if I'm out taking pictures or something like that, load something mm. onto the tablet and do a quick edit. But other than that, that's interesting. Um, listen, before we get into uh, our interview in just a moment, I had two funny emails I wanted to share with you. 
Okay, hit me. All right, one is kind of to do with blackmailers, okay? So I had uh, one addressed to an Irish language podcast, which uh, we produce, okay? Um, mm-hmm. So it was sent to, they, they knew it was Irish. Uh, and it was like, hello, this is your final warning. Your system is compromised. All data is copied from your device to our servers. Sound familiar? We also recorded <laughs> a video of your camera watching porn. My virus infected sure, sure. your device through an adult. Da, 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 da. What made me fall over with laughter with this particular email? Okay. It was in Irish. Oh, Google Translate, they you're a legend. The tr- yes, <laughs> went to the trouble <laughs> of going to Google Translate to put it in Irish in order to give me that. That's Somebody did their homework. Well done. <laughs> I feel like sending them a tenor. Just God loves a trier. <laughs> and the other one I got, again, uh, with a podcast, uh, was just, and just be wary if you are the kind of person who scrapes websites and stuff like that and getting people's names right, because it's so important to get somebody's name right. Mm-hmm. And do you know where I find uh, it is terrible is uh, LinkedIn. People can't even put their name correctly on LinkedIn. And often they won't have a surname there or the surname will be spelled wrong or there'll be something da 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 whatever, like, you know. So it's very mm-hmm. important. However, this was obviously a scrape um, because it was about a podcast. I wanted to reach out to you the last time regarding a new podcast website we've built to you, yada, yada, yada. Uh, it was addressed to, hi, Produced by dustpod.ie for Chadwick's. Oh, goodness. <laughs> oh, goodness. <sighs> Do you know so, what? Any email comes in these days, I assume it's automated. Yeah, like wow. I, I get so much in the way of news and then I get like a follow up sort of a couple of days later. And I'm, I just assume everything's automated to the, to the point where somebody might actually email me <laughs> or have a chat with me. <laughs> Do you and know what I... Do you know what, what never works for me? What piece of basic tech never works for me these days? What? The landline telephone. Never it's, works for you? No, it's still there on my desk. And it's right. the number that I have on the bottom of my emails and I'm able mm-hmm. to call people on it and stuff like that. Nobody rings it. I get you know emails. What? I get over Slack. I get stuff yeah. on the social media. I get texts on my phone. I get WhatsApps. I get mobile calls. Everything except the darn landline. Yeah, everything. When I started working from home, mm-hmm. like I put the the office phone on redirect, and I think I've received like a handful of messages on it. Every people just email me. That's fine. You want to catch know. me? I know. Get uh, me an and, email, and it's great in many ways. But then it's not because it's so time sucking. Because if they email mm-hmm. you, then you've got to email them back, and you go oh, whatever. Modern. Life. We started off the entire news segment today going. Isn't COVID good in some ways in that it's driven adoption of tech? <laughs> and at the end, yeah. of it, we've got down to the bit where we're lamenting. <laughs> lamenting technology. And going, yeah, exactly. All right. Listen, that is the our news. Basic for, piece of tech. <laughs> that's our news for this week. Do remember, we keep you up to date daily on all things tech with hourly updates and daily newsletters. You can grab them for free at techcentral.ie. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. One of the many things that has changed over the pandemic is the amount of energy we have been consuming, especially with so many offices being closed and businesses moving to cloud services. So what happens when life returns to normal? Alistair McKinstry is a climate scientist at the Irish Centre for High-End Computing, and he has been working on climate models to find out what kind of world we will be living in if we pick up some lessons about sustainability or go back to our old ways. Niall Kitson spoke to him during the week. 
often takes a disruptive moment to be able to assess uh, a certain model that we're using, a certain mathematical model, which is based on, on prediction and sort of the assumption that variables will stay, you know, um, will adhere to certain trends. Uh, but of course, we, we have moments like we have now with COVID-19 where our models really are being disrupted. So what kind of opportunities has that presented to you? Okay, so starting last March with the lockdown and COVID, we had a dramatic change in human behavior around the globe. Uh, in the amount of uh, work that was being done, in the amount of factories that were running, the amount of travel that was going on. And that then impacted on our climate. And as a climate scientist, we saw the opportunity for this to be a natural experiment to see if we could, if we could make if our models would reproduce this, uh, and if they could, what they would predict uh, compared to compared to what we'd normally expected. Uh, so, some of our colleagues in the UK Met Office, Chris Jones and colleagues, uh, helped organise very rapidly indeed a set of experiments to compare uh, what we were doing with COVID compared to uh, compared to daily life, and to see what effect we were. Um, uh, our actions would, would have, and what of what we saw, we could possibly uh, uh, correlate and uh, align with uh, with uh, what, uh, with our actions, and what ones would not what would not be. So, for example, we saw a dramatic drop in the amount of g- uh, gases being emitted, and then in Ireland in April, we saw a beautiful uh, a beautiful weather. Uh, we had, you know, we had a nice long, dry, dry, sunny period. Were those just coincidental, or was that due to our actions? Uh, and uh, and if uh, and if so, you know, can we t- uh, use that to um, predict or or correct our model better in the future? Um, so what we did was uh, a bunch of the climate modeling community uh, groups around the world who are used to working together in climate change prediction uh, got together a large experiment called uh, called a, a MIP, a COVID MIP, uh, model into comparison experiment, where we all ran the same model. We all had the same input into that model, which basically said, this is what we did. This is the weather that we did. This is the drop in greenhouse gases. And we predicted what will happen over 2020 to 2024, uh, a short five-year period to see um, to see what happened and to see uh, if it's liable to have any long-term impacts. And uh, the, the work we're talking about today is basically the results of that, of that experiment. Looking at that uh, initial sort of period, uh, as it's been referred to, of 2020 or why that particular interval before looking on to it towards a, a long-term view towards 2050? Why, why that specific? Why that specific period? Well, we kind of imagined that we well we had about six to twelve months data to work with in terms of the impact, the immediate impact of COVID, and we were presuming that there would be a drop in. Um, uh, in the and a change in behavior in within two years time so it, it's kind of a spike we wanted to see if there were short-term uh, impacts or not um if did things first off did things just revert to normal back after 2025 
in which case there's no point in wasting a large amount of human effort uh, calculating a new special set of experiments for 2050? Or, uh, or is there the expe- uh, any long-term impact from 2025 onwards? But, I mean, this work is still ongoing, but this is the, we have the results up to 2025 and we can continue the experiments uh, now at our leisure. Uh, but we wanted to get some, we wanted to see rapidly now at the, um, what results we could get for the first five years. Looking towards then, sort of beyond that, towards um, you know that that twenty fifty mark, you've developed a, a some different set of um, of models to look at what specific kinds of recovery uh, might look like. Can you just take us through what they are? Okay, um, so be, for beyond that period, we have you know, our daily day to day work in climate modelling. We use a set of scenarios called uh, sociological scenarios, uh, where other social scientists and ec- economists have come up with about four or five main scenarios uh, for the kind of paths that mankind could pick. And we calculate uh, these translate to uh, scenarios such as a very heavy investment in renewable energy, a very a large cutback in the amount of uh, consumption that goes on through to at the far end, a very heavy fossil fuel use, uh, continued usage, or and in the middle, there's a couple of scenarios where we, uh, there are intermediate scenarios where different societies take it seriously, but there's com- regional rivalry between societies, etc. Um, so they came up with these scenarios, which, uh, and from those we calculate things like how much greenhouse gases will be emitted from each country. Uh, also things like how much land use change would happen in each country, how much new forests would be grown, uh, what new crops might be grown. Um, and with these then scenarios as, as input, we calculate out the outputs, which would be the, the change in climate and the change in weather we would expect to see over various periods from, from now to 2050 and then on to 2100. Uh, and so that work is called uh, a set of modeling called CMIP, a coupled model into comparison project, and number six, it's the, uh, the latest iteration of that. And that work has been published now, and the science from that is going into the next next iteration of the UN IPCC report uh, for uh, that's going to be published uh, over the next year or so. Uh, yeah. Sorry. So looking at um, COVID as sort of a, a, a moment, have you been surprised so far at some of the results you've been seeing or are you still looking at them as kind of raw material? Okay. So the basic, the, the, first, the first thing we've noticed coming out of them is that we do see a change in, in aerosols, which isn't very, shouldn't be surprising, uh, that match what we, uh, we physically saw uh, around the world. So when we change the amount of greenhouse gases, but also the amount of NOx and pollution that are coming from cars, et cetera, these we know form aerosols in the air. Uh, but we didn't. But uh, we wanted to see if our climate models produced uh, the, the same results that we would anticipate uh, and actually saw. And, uh, and at the moment, they, uh, the analysis appears to be that the case. Yes, uh, our climate models get our aerosols right, and we get a little bit increase in sun, sunshine on the ground due to uh, due to those aerosols. Um, what we 
what's less clear is the, and we don't see a good correlation yet, is the um, in our global models is the change in overall sunshine and overall rainfall that will happen. Our models do give uh, the, a change in aerosols does give that result, uh, but it's a very regional result. And we, in order to see that in detail, we need to use the results of this work into what we call a regional downscaling model, which gives us much more localized results over the size of Ireland or Europe. Um, in our global models typically have a resolution of about 100 kilometers. So we divide the world up into boxes of about 100 by 100 kilometers. Uh, and calculate the, the the change in atmosphere uh, in climate in each of those. Uh, so Ireland is only covered by about uh, five or ten boxes, uh, and so we don't get very detailed results in in a particular area of that. But when we do what's called downscaling, we use that work into a much more fine scale model for for just uh, Ireland or for just the localized area, and we do get much more reliable results over a particular. Uh, over the particular areas down to about one or two kilometers. And that kind of work is ongoing at iCheck. And that then gives us the kind of results that we need to operate on a day-to-day -day, uh, day -day work. Yes, I'm talking about the facilities that are being used at iCheck. Um, we imagine, uh, one would imagine that there's a tremendous amount of computing power goes into sort of um, uh, adjusting and readjusting a, a model like that. But to what extent uh, does iCheck contribute to the, the international effort? Well, this is an example of that. Uh, this is a, a, a multi-ensemble model. So we're working with eight, uh, eight or 10 other groups around, uh, around the world uh, in, in, in this particular experiment. But in the CMIP experiments, we're working with 30 or 40 groups around the world. Uh, but even, even beyond that, uh, in calculating the results from our models, but the models themselves we develop as part of an international consortium. So iCheck and Ireland with Metair in, in a, a consortium called EC Earth, which has about 20 or 30 partners, of course, Europe, in, uh, uh, who, are who are working on the development of that model and then running that on various institutions. So iCheck uses its computer, K, here in Ireland, but also European facilities, which are much larger. And we then do a lot of technical work on making the model work on uh, at a very large scale. So at iCheck, our machine can we can run on eight thousand cores uh, uh, when we're running the model, but we don't typically have that available to us in the day to day um, for day to day purposes. But we can use European machines that are up to uh, up to a million cores. Uh, the, some of the world's largest machines, if our model works successfully on that. And we do a lot of develop, code development to make sure that when we get access to a machine that size, we're not wasting taxpayers' resources. Uh, one last uh, point that I, I have to raise uh, with you, seeing as uh, our audience is, is very much interested in the, in the space economy and ongoing exploration. Uh, your own interest has something of a, an intergalactic quality. <laughs> 
It is. Um, yeah, I should update my my CV a bit. I'm working on ocean uh, in in whatever spare time I have. I'm working on ocean models on other planets. Uh, so we have discovered in the last 30, 30 years exoplanets around other stars. And we're, uh, an increasing amount of work is working on the climates of those planets. Um, and so some of my own work is basically on the uh, how oceans will be different in very in uh, what we call uh, these ocean planets and will behave differently on ocean planets, which will be planets about three or four times the size of Earth that will be just covered in oceans. So uh, I guess for anyone that has read uh, Stanislaw Lem's Solaris, some of it might uh, <laughs> might might ring true. Yes, it would be. And that was Niall Kitson chatting with Alastair McKinstry from the Irish Centre of High-End Computing. That is it for our show this week. Uh, do remember, we keep you up to date daily on all things tech with hourly updates and daily newsletters. You can grab them for free at techcentral.ie. And of course, we have our podcast with RTE Radio 1 and online on uh, Spotify and Google and wherever you get your podcasts from every single Friday. So until next week, from myself, Dusty Rhodes and from Niall Kitson, thanks for listening and have a great bank holiday weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.